You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. So it's the last episode of the season and I can't believe it's already time to wrap it up. I'm late with this episode because I think subconsciously I didn't want it to end, so I procrastinated real hard. Like, I had the episode recorded two or three weeks before it was supposed to be posted. Maybe, well, no, I won't say four weeks. Probably like two or three weeks before it was supposed to be posted, and here we are. But I'm very proud to for this otherwise to have been the most consistent season yet, and I tried really hard to get all the episodes out on Monday-ish. Um, I've really enjoyed sharing and learning with y'all. I love providing content that helps other people feel seen or maybe provides a new perspective um, that maybe you haven't considered. But one of my favorite things about doing this is that in talking to guests on the show, I start to understand myself and my and my own experiences better as well. So that's been like a really... Uh, joyful thing for me in doing this. In terms of next season, I plan to take all of January off, probably some of February, most likely some of February, because I have a lot of stuff going on in January and into February. I was asked to teach a graduate course in Black feminism in the spring, and I've never taught that course before, so there's a lot of course prep for that to get to get prepared for it. Um, I also have a big move coming up at the end of January going into February, so I'll be packing and getting settled into a new place. And I also want to have some other stuff to offer y'all besides just episodes. So that'll take some time to develop. And so that's what I'll be doing in the several weeks off. If you want to support the show in the meantime, here are four things that you can do. First, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen to it. Reviews are super, 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 super important because it's kind of social proof that good shit is happening over here. And so when people find the the show and see that people have reviewed it and like it, it's kind of proof that maybe they should give it a listen to. So reviews are rates, ratings and reviews are very helpful. Two, you can sign up for the email list. I do not spam folks. I haven't sent out any emails as of yet because I don't have stuff to say yet. So um, I'd love for you to be on the list so you can be notified when the next season comes out and to get info, info about what else is in store for the show. So you can find that in the show notes if you want to sign up for the mailing list. Three, you can follow on Instagram. I do take social media breaks sometimes, but I always come back. So you can follow me at not the wifey type, just like the podcast is spelled. And you'll be able to catch me in between seasons as well as know when the next season is coming. And the last thing, the fourth and final thing that you can do, which is also very, 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 very helpful um, in making the show better for you if is if you would fill out a short um, survey letting me know what you like so far and what you'd like to see coming up or in the future. And you can find a link to that also in the show notes. It's really quick. It's like a, it's like eight questions. So if you want to be super helpful, you can also fill out the survey and let me know what you think. Okay. So th- now that that's out of the way, today's show is about leaving relationships that are harmful 
potentially abusive or maybe just that don't serve you. And I feel like it's right on time for the new year in case there's someone who you don't want to take into 2022 with you. So among other things, the guest for today is a breakup coach who experienced an abusive relationship. And so she has firsthand experience with trying to leave a situation that uh, where she was primed for abuse or where abuse was kind of normalized. So one of the thing, one of the themes that came up, um, during our interview is how women are constantly taught not to trust our feelings or to second guess what we feel is best for us. And I want to tell a story of a time when I didn't trust how I felt or honor what I knew was best for myself. This is a story from undergrad, senior year. There was a guy I went to high school with who kept in touch with me. We went to different colleges in the same state, and he let it be known that he was interested in me. Um, Actually, actually, I knew in high school that he was interested in me, but I just never paid it any mind. So some guys you could just tell are going to waste your time. And at that time, I could tell he was one of those guys. And I know I've mentioned in past episodes how I've been involved with men who I had no business entertaining, who I knew I had no business entertaining, and still managed to get my feelings hurt behind them. So for me to recognize this guy as a time waster and choose not to get involved, I had really strong convictions about this because I was making shitty choices in men and, you know, other regards with something about him and like how he interacted with me made it very clear this is not what you want so what that was and what that looked like is um I'm a I'm a very curious person and I realize that people like to talk about themselves so like I like to pick people's brain and understand why you do what you do or think what you think and so on and so forth so what that ends up looking like is asking lots of questions and having engaging conversation usually men like that it, it makes them feel like they're actually interesting and have something of value to say, whether that's actually the case or not. <laughs> but um, this guy was giving cavemen, like me, man, you woman, we no talk, burp, fart, scratch. Like he would want my attention, but wouldn't want to have in-depth conversations about anything. He used to text me and ask, what you doing? So I respond telling him what I was doing. And when people ask what I'm doing, like people text me, what are you doing? I try to even be engaging in that response and not say stuff like nothing, what you're doing, because it doesn't move the conversation forward. So I try to even be detailed and stuff like telling people what I'm doing. And so I would tell him what I was doing and ask him back. And then he respond, nothing, what you doing? (laughs) Like I didn't just tell him what I was doing. And... Let me tell you, there is nobody I'm interested in enough to do that amount of heavy lifting to move a conversation forward. So I felt like I would be very extremely unfulfilled in any kind of relationship with him because how do you even get to know someone who doesn't want to talk about anything or how would he get to know me? How do we even know if we like each other? I just knew... I would feel emotionally and intellectually neglected in a relationship with him because he couldn't be bothered to give more than bare minimum minimum in conversation. Like he couldn't even show up for conversation. So like, how can you be trusted to show up in a relationship? Enter my lion sister who, upon meeting this guy, thought he was really nice and decided that she liked him for me. And I mean, he was a charismatic guy in person, even if he was 
super dry, like Popeye's biscuits dry via text. He was charismatic in person. So, I mean, I understood why she liked him when she met him. So she reminded me at every opportunity that I needed to give him a chance that I would know until I gave him a try and, you know, I'd probably be surprised. So against my better judgment, <laughs> I gave him a chance and we started talking. Dun, dun, dun. So I mentioned that we were uh, went to different schools in the same state. So to commemorate us talking, I decided to drive three hours to the city he was in and um, spend a weekend with him. And after that weekend us talking was no longer on the table. (laughs) It was over before it really got started. So first things first, I get there. He lived in a house he was renting with a roommate. And when I got there, he had me park my car in the backyard. Now, I I didn't think anything of it then, but looking back, I do wonder if that was because he didn't want people knowing he had a a weekend guest or a guest for the entire weekend. So, um... Yeah, who knows? But um, someone comes to visit you, you would think that you would ask them what they like to do or you would make plans to show the person around or extend some kind of hospitality to make them feel comfortable. Not this guy, okay? I had the most awkward, boring, (laughs) and lonely weekend I've ever spent with a man. He literally did nothing to prepare for me coming. It was like he went about his normal weekend just with me there. It was a rainy weekend, so we did a bunch of indoor stuff, none of which I had any desire to do whatsoever. We, the first thing we did was went over another of his friend's apartments to hang out where there were several guys. And yes, I was the only woman. I'm not socially awkward. I know how to, you know, go with the flow and be cordial and be friendly or whatever the fuck. But like, I don't know these niggas. (laughs) Why are we here? Um, We also went to a basketball game for his school where he mostly didn't even sit with me. Uh, He didn't keep me company. He had me sitting alone in the bleachers while he talked to his other friends from school. And I understand sports, but I don't want to watch this shit. (laughs) We went to a casino. I had never been to one before and I wasn't particularly interested in gambling away my meager income as a college student who worked night desk in the dorms. So I sat and watched him gamble for several hours and had the pleasure of leaving smelling like an ashtray. Uh, All of this and when I say all of this, I mean, yes, give us nothing because he gave me absolutely nothing. But all of that, and he still had the nerve to think he was going to get some ass. So even though he tried it, I will give him credit because I did appreciate that I was like, nah, <laughs> that's not going to happen. And he didn't, ha- he didn't hassle me about it. He respected that I said no, which... Obviously, that's giving cookies. That's giving points for bare minimum because, like, that's what you should do anyway when someone says no, when someone sets a boundary. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to give him some points somewhere. So, um, that was probably the the final straw for him, as if he had any room to be collecting straws as shitty as he was making my experience. But I think that was like the final straw, and he was in his feelings that. I didn't give him none. So, okay. So he respected, I just thought of that. Like he respected 
that I said no by not pushing it, but I think he kind of got in his feelings about not getting none because the thing that he did next was like, what the fuck? So, um, we, <laughs> I think he was in his feelings and we went to the mall. That's the last thing that we did before I left. It was like the, the, the morning or the afternoon of the day I left. And I don't know why I didn't leave before then. I don't know, whatever. So we were at the mall cause he wanted to get some stuff. I also, this is something I also did not want to do, but we went, um, he got his stuff and he decides that he's hungry and wants to go to Chick-fil-A. So we're in Chick-fil-A and he's at the register and I'm standing like behind him, but to the side and he finishes his order and the cashier asks if that's it. So I step up and say, add, <laughs> add a lemonade. He's like, <laughs> he's like, not nah, no lemonade. <laughs> I'm laughing because this is so ridiculous. So he says, no, no lemonade. I'm like, yeah, add a lemonade, (laughs) add a lemonade to that. So he looks at the cashier and he's like, nah, the lemonade is separate. And so the cashier's looking confused about like, (laughs) what do I do? And I'm embarrassed because she's probably thinking, damn, like, is this your, is this your nigga? (laughs) Like, (laughs) so to avoid further embarrassment, I just back off. And he really, actually, truly, honestly did not buy me a $2 lemonade when I was thirsty. And I swear in that moment, I decided that he would never get no pussy from me like ever, ever in life as if the rest of the weekend hadn't cemented that or whatever. So after that, I'm like mad as fuck. But also at the time, I was like probably 21 at the time, um, and maybe even 20, I don't know. Um, but I wasn't very good at voicing certain things still back then because I was, I was really young. Um, and especially if they led to conflict. So I just kind of stewed silently and didn't make a big deal of it because it was the last day anyway and I was leaving in a couple hours. So when it came time for me to leave, we said our goodbyes and I get into my car and remember, I told you he had me park the car in his backyard. And remember, I also said that it had been a rainy weekend. So I'm in my car trying to back out that bitch and going nowhere very fast. (laughs) And I'm going nowhere because I'm parked on like a soft spot in his backyard. It turned into mud because of the rain. So he got into the car and, and tried it and it didn't move. So now I'm pissed because of the lemonade. I'm ready to go. I'm annoyed that my car is stuck and all I want to do is get this nigga out of my face. So finally, the only thing left to do is to have the car towed out of his backyard onto the road. So we have the tow guy come to move it. And um, honestly, to my surprise... He pays for it. This the, the guy that I came to see. He paid the tow guy, but I'm pretty sure he only did it because um, he was the only one. He was the one who told me to park in the backyard, and I wouldn't have parked back there otherwise. Because why would I do that? So it was his fault that my car got stuck in the first place. And I say that that's the only reason that he paid for it because he was obviously bitter about having to pay the little hundred dollars that it cost. He was so bitter about that that he left the receipt on the front passenger seat of my car so I would know how much he paid. And the whole way home, I was thinking, that's what the fuck you get, you stingy bastard. So, again, this was the most awkward, boring, and probably, like, just aggy-ass time that I've ever had 
that I've ever spent with a with a man over the weekend. So in the episode called Good Men Don't Exist, I mentioned how men get points for just showing up. And I think that's what was what he was banking on. Like I was with him the whole time, but basically alone because he showed because he showed up that weekend exactly how he showed up in text and exactly how I imagined he would show up in a relationship. I knew there was nothing about talking to him that felt good. I didn't feel excitement. I didn't feel intellectually stimulated. I didn't feel engaged. I didn't feel cared for in a sense that he would be a person that would reciprocate my effort. I just felt blah about the whole thing. And like that weekend was such a reflection of a person who it just is is choosing not to show up in any kind of significant way. But I listened to my line sister and I let her convince me that I was being too picky or I was being too hard on him. And that's what I learned from this. And what I've had to keep reinforcing is to trust yourself and to trust how things make you feel, because that is really one of the best indicators, whether something is for you or if it isn't. There were there are so many ways that women learn we're not trustworthy or um, we don't know what's best for ourselves, or that it's bad to be led by anything except logic. And it's not even always in ways that are meant to cause intentional harm. I'm sure my line sister meant well and just wanted me to get some consistent dick from a guy she approved of, but he wasn't the one to be that guy. And I think this is a good example of the emphasis or priority given to partnering or romantic relationships and how it can overshadow the way things make us feel, which is more important. Now, years later, I'm able to extend this guy a little bit of grace, a smidgen of grace, because I did learn that at the time he was going through a lot of things, but that's when he should have been honest about his capacity to be present in a relationship. And that's when I also should have trusted that I was picking up on his lack of capacity to be present in a relationship, whether he said it or not. So moral of the story, trust yourself, bitch. Today we have with us Daphne McGee, who is a lawyer and a breakup coach. How are you this evening, Daphne? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. I'm actually really excited about this because you are a listener turned guest. So I think this might be a first. So <laughs> yay for milestones. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to start, well, you, you've you been a listener, so you know we usually start with like some background. So I wanted to start, um, you've shared some of your experience with um, an abusive marriage that you were able to leave successfully on your blog. And I wanted you to kind of tell us a little bit about your experiences and like what led to you becoming a breakup coach. Sure. So yes, as you mentioned, I have a blog um, at goldendaff.com and I have a series on there called Marriage Autopsy. And I share my experience leaving my emotionally and spiritually abusive marriage. Um, so kind of how I got into that situation, I grew up in the church um, in a very religious household, kind of evangelical Southern Baptist upbringing. And so I was raised right in the middle of purity culture and like courtship culture. And so those are all ideas that I was given around dating um, growing up. I wasn't really taught um, relationship 
um, ideas like compatibility and maintaining autonomy and agency, those weren't things that were taught to me that were important in relationships growing up. Pretty much the relationship advice that I got was, one, just in general, marriage is better than singleness. Um, that's, you know, how you experience uh, the best benefits here on earth and you have a closer relationship with God. That's just the best thing to do. Um, also, if you're not married, you can't have sex or you shouldn't have sex because that's not going to be honoring to God. Also, you shouldn't really date because then you might have sex but you should also still get married. So gray area there. And then it's like, well, once you get married, you can't get divorced. So that's a summary of all the advice I was really given about relationships and kind of just told if somebody else loves the Lord, it, you know, it'll be fine. It, it'll, it'll work out. Relationships and marriage is hard, but it's worth it. So that was all the messaging that I got growing up and I was a rule follower. So I pretty much stuck to all of that. I didn't date a whole lot. I focused more on my career um, and ended up meeting my now ex-husband in grad school. Um, I met him and kind of took note because he was one of the few black men in our graduate program. But he was in a relationship, you know, at the time. So I wasn't even really thinking about him like that. But he ended up sliding in my DMs a little bit after he graduated and um, sent me a message. And the message on his face was pretty innocent. Like, you know, would you be interested in building a Christ-centered friendship? So he used, you know, this this kind of churchy language that, you know, he thought would, you know, be able to hook me. And even at that point, my gut, my intuition was like, hmm. Something ain't all the way right here. But by that time, I had pretty much been groomed to not even trust my feelings or to sort of intellectualize things and think through things and just trust God. And so I was like, okay, well, he's saying the right things. I'll entertain it. Long story short, um, we ended up entering into a courtship, which we didn't date traditionally. We did more of a courtship, which is we said, OK, we're going to see if we should get married. And so it was really short, three months. Um, then we were engaged for uh, nine months and then we ended up getting married. All throughout this time, there were things that I knew I wasn't necessarily happy with, but all of the spiritual messages that I got kind of kept me in that situation. A main one being marriages for holiness and not happiness. So I shouldn't be seeking my own happiness or pleasure out of the relationship. And so after we got married and I was experiencing things that I knew I wasn't happy with and things were just like confusing. And, um, you know, I felt like he was kind of undermining some of my goals. You know, I just, I just knew I, I wasn't happy. I felt like I had made a mistake just, you know, several months into the marriage, not even a month. I think in the blog, I, um, highlight a journal post that I made just a month after the wedding. And I was like, what did I do wrong? And so, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to figure that out hyper-spiritualized things. So I'm like, let me pray about it. Let me trust God. You know, God is working on him. Like God is working on me. Nobody's perfect. Um, this suffering is going to bring me closer to God. So let me, you know, just keep my head down, press through it. So about six months after um, I got married was the 2016 election. We all know what happened then. And I started seeing a lot of posts on social media about narcissism. 
and in reference to our then president elect. And so I started looking at some of these articles and I realized that the dynamics that were described in those articles, it were exactly what I was experiencing in my marriage. And that's the first time I had this label of emotional abuse or narcissistic abuse that I could say, hey, this is what's happening in my marriage. And so that provided a lot of clarity for me. But unfortunately, that wasn't necessarily enough for me to leave at that point because I had this idea in my mind. I mean, I had heard of abuse. I had heard of emotional abuse, physical abuse. You know, I had this idea in my mind of lifetime movies where a guy is like super charming. And then all of a sudden, you know, the couple gets married and he just flips the script and is like, you know, beating the person upside their head. Like that's the picture I had in my mind. So it was tougher to see these other things as abuse, but it did fit that box. And so I reached out to some of the people in my church who kind of just gave me the same spiritual messages, like encouraging me to pray uh, for my husband. Like I would pray for enemies, which looking back, it's like, why is that even okay? Um, But at that time it was just easier for me to be in denial because I was also studying for the bar exam Um, So it was just easier to kind of be in denial. So I, you know, woke up to it and went back to sleep several times (laughs) in my marriage until a couple years later when I really realized the toll it was taking on me because it was getting harder for me to really control my actions and just kind of take um, the inconsistency that he was giving, you know, without a response. And so I first just made the decision to work on myself, work on implementing boundaries. And what ultimately happened was I think he realized that he wasn't getting what he wanted in the relationship. And he actually ended up taking things up a notch and leaving, moving out of our apartment pretty abruptly. He didn't say he wanted a divorce initially, but he also didn't say he didn't. Mm -hmm. I think that was just a way to kind of ramp things up and try to get reactions and that type of thing. It was at that point that I ended up getting a coach to help me through the process because I knew that I wanted to leave and I had my own plan to leave. He just kind of beat me to the punch. That's violent language, you know, yeah, he he did he did it before I did, but um, I I knew I wanted to leave. But she helped me get clarity on that goal of leaving and what I would need to do, and then she helped me figure out like what actions I was taking and how they aligned with my goal. And she helped me get really clear. I could have probably stayed on that roller coaster with him for a while, even when mm-hmm. he moved out. He was like, "Okay, let's go to counseling." Actually, no, I'm not. And it, you know, it was a lot of back and forth. But with the clarity I had, I ended up filing for divorce and moving the process forward um, and was able to get the divorce finalized in three months after being married for three years and experiencing the abuse that way. So that experience coaching really inspired me to want to get into coaching myself. Gotcha. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of different things that I want to talk about during this kind of discussion. So first, I want to talk a little bit more about um, some of the ways you think women are taught not to trust their feelings, because that seems to have come up for you a lot. So can you say more about that? 
Yeah, for sure. So for me, I got a lot of spiritual messages in the church. Um, there are different passages in the Bible that are used to pretty much say we shouldn't trust our feelings. One is um, the heart is deceitful. The other is like trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. Um, and then there's some even um, some other messages that aren't necessarily in the Bible, but they're spoken a lot. And they're, they say like faith over fear or faith mm-hmm. over feelings as though like feelings are bad and we shouldn't use our feelings to guide us throughout life. Um, so I think all people get that, but women definitely get that in particular. There's also just this generalized idea um, that comes from patriarchy. That means like that women's bodies are not their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can cause us to really become disembodied and not be in tune with the ways our body warn, warn our bodies warn us about mm-hmm. when things may um, be off. Um, and then I think also just kind of living in a like white supremacist society, it really prioritizes intellectualism. And so if you're not able to articulate something or put a definition on it, it's like, well, can you even really trust that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there are lo- many different ways that we're kind of told that we shouldn't trust our feelings, like you said. So we're cast as mostly emotional versus, you know, not really logical and stuff. And one thing that came to mind when you were talking about how you were kind of groomed not to trust your feelings is some of my own experiences. Um, like one time I had a, a guy, I told him to call me at a certain time because I, you know, didn't want to talk too late on the phone. And he like called me like two hours later and I didn't answer. And so the next time I talked to him, I, he was like, I didn't know you were going to be a dictator. You're a dictator or something like that. And I, that was like, yeah, so that was was problematic to me because I set a boundary and now you're calling me a dictator. So I felt uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because sir, you are calling me names for what? I didn't cuss him out. I didn't uh, yell at him. I didn't block him. I just simply did not answer the phone because he didn't respect a boundary that I put in place. And so for him to start calling me names over that made me feel like it, he was trying to manipulate me into feeling bad about enforcing boundaries. And it made me wonder what else in the future would he act this way about the next time I tried to enforce a boundary that he didn't necessarily like. So it made me feel very, very, very uncomfortable. And I told my mom about the situation and I know she didn't really mean to be, but she was dismissive of how it made me feel. It was, she was like, oh, well, he just, he likes you and he doesn't really know how to talk to women. And he's just a little immature. You just gotta, you just gotta work with them. And I thought that was hella problematic. I guess because of patriarchy, we're, we're taught to like value, you know, man's attention. And, you know, when he wants to give you attention, just give him the benefit of a doubt. He likes mm-hmm. you. He's just joking. So, yeah, it can be really insidious because it doesn't even seem like people have ill intent behind it. But, right. you know, when you're taught to like not really trust your your gut, um, it can have real repercussions. So. Okay, so you also mentioned that you saw like a preoccupation with narcissism in around like 2016 when that thing happened. (laughs) 
So can you tell me, do you think this kind of content is helpful? So like the content around identifying um, narcissists and understanding what narcissistic abuse is and stuff like that. Do you think this kind of content is helpful? And then why or why not? Yeah, so I definitely noticed it um, a lot more um, starting around that time. And like I said, it was helpful for me in terms of identifying what was going on in my relationship. Like it definitely, like everything fit. I could check off the boxes and know that that's what was going on. Mm -hmm. But that's not what helped me ultimately leave. (laughs) So I think that it's important for anyone trying to figure out whether you're in relationship with, you know, a suspected narcissist or just an, an abuser those definitions and those boxes are, you know, can be important and they can have some value, but it's important to know what you want to do with that information mm-hmm. um, because you could do what I did initially, what, which was tell my spouse that I thought he was narcissistic and tell other people that I thought he was abusive and kind of look to them for validation and affirmation. Um, like I, you know, I don't really know what I expected. I don't know if I, wanted somebody to to rescue me from that. Like I, you know, I don't even know exactly what I wanted or what I thought that would accomplish. Maybe I just wanted that validation of my experience, which is, you know, it's a natural thing to want when you're going through that. You can feel like, okay, is this even really happening? So seeking that validation is a natural thing to want to do, but that's not necessarily going to get you anywhere. So I think it's also just important to, if you think you're in this type of situation, like, yes, the education is great, but also start educating yourself on yourself so that you can start to regain some of that trust Mm -hmm. in your own decision-making and trust that if you think something is wrong, know that that's enough to leave. You don't have to have anyone's validation from any particular definition. Yeah, that's really good because, okay, so again, thinking back to some of my past experiences, I feel like I have been involved with someone who, I'm not a clinician, a mental health clinician or anything, but someone who I suspect was a narcissist. And that's one of the things I think um, that can come from dealing with a narcissist is you're kind of disoriented from being like gaslit. So you don't know like if your feelings are valid and you do kind of seek other people. And that's something I feel like I was doing. So like, I feel like what you said is really important to educate yourself on yourself because it can be really, really, really disorienting having to like figure out, okay, what is reality or what is, you know, been affected by like the gaslighting of this person. So really, really important. Well, can you talk about what do you think are some are some of the more insidious or covert forms of abuse? Because you mentioned that there were some things that you couldn't really identify readily as abuse um, in your relationship. So what are some of the more insidious or covert covert forms? Yeah, that's a good question. So I what I will say is I feel like or I don't feel like I know there are both like really overt and covert forms of abuse for like for all types of abuse. So when you Mm -hmm. think about different types in terms of physical, emotional, spiritual, even sexual or financial, financial, there can be both really overt forms and covert forms. So like with physical abuse, you know, I think 
we would all say that like, you know, someone like, you know, punching or kicking or beating up someone that's like obviously physical abuse. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if we think about things like maybe intimidation, like standing up and over someone in a conversation or following them if they're trying to leave a room, that type of thing. Those those can also count as um, physical abuse. And those are some more insidious things. In terms of emotional abuse, you know, we would all say like, you know, potentially yelling and screaming, cursing, like those things are, you know, pretty obvious. But the things um, for me that um, when I when I realized they were abuse, it really opened my eyes were things like maybe giving the silent treatment, um, discrediting or invalidating my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that as I think back on my experience, I see that because I had, um, because I lacked um, kind of dating and relationship experience, he used that as a way to invalidate like my thoughts and my opinions about different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is definitely something that's more um, insidious. Also, stonewalling um, is another thing that essentially is someone um, shutting down productive conversations. Other things like one. So one thing I feel like a lot of people know is abuse is if someone tries to like isolate you from your family and friends that can actually be done in pretty insidious ways. It doesn't have to be no, don't spend time with them. It can just be like an attitude whenever you get back from spending time with them or, you know, really quiet, kind of withdrawn whenever that type of thing happens. Um, So those are some kind of insidious forms of emotional abuse. Um, Spiritual abuse is a term that was that I discovered throughout this process um, that can also have really overt and covert um, examples. One big one that I think we would all agree spiritual abuse is the whole um, Jonestown massacre and the Kool-Aid like that and just other types of cults like that's really obvious spiritual abuse, but one that people may not see as abuse um, off top is um, the idea um, or promoting the idea that um, men should, men and women have certain roles and have to stay within those roles within the church and family and relationships, that type of thing. That's and using um, spiritual um, principles or scriptures to try to back that up. Um, And then with financial abuse, one thing that I saw in my own situation was where we would have conversations about our financial goals, and then he would take steps that would undermine those goals. And there would kind of be a double standard. So if I were to bring something up that he did, you know, it would be, you know, he would make a big fuss about it. But if I wanted to bring something up or have a conversation, like, you know, he wouldn't even engage. So those are some more types of, you know, kind of insidious abuse that's not um, readily obvious, but they can all contribute to really a dynamic of power and control in, in a relationship. And that's really what abuse does. It creates an imbalance of power in a relationship. So even if you may do some of these things or your partner may do some of these things every now and then, like we, we might just do that. Like we're not going to be perfect, but identifying abuse is really about seeing what is the pattern here? When did these types of things tend to come up, right? Is this, is this a one-off thing? And then is this something that they came back and explained 
apologized and like, you know, didn't do again? Or is this something that you see all the time in certain situations? Right, right. I like that. So uh, one thing I wanted to go back to and ask about is you mentioned spiritual abuse. And I was wondering how you kind of reconcile your your religion with the fact that maybe your your some of the tenets of your religion kind of groomed you for abuse. Yeah, um, I couldn't reconcile those ultimately. Um, so there are a lot of things about um, the the ways that I believe that I've had to let go of. Um, because ultimately I realized the, the framework I had about my belief system and what I was thinking about God, I was like, when I think about God in this way, like God is abusive. So like, it makes sense that I would be in an abusive relationship. So I really decided that, you know what, I think I can reframe my thinking. Like I started just reading other things and not like, and this was a slow process. Like this wasn't a, oh, I'm just dropping all this. But I just started reading some things that was like, actually, you can interpret the Bible this way and it's more liberating, right? Like you can interpret the Bible this way. And like, if, you know, it, and you can see that it advocates for leaving from harmful situations, mm-hmm. right? So there were a lot of things that that had to change, you know, like that just couldn't be reconciled in that way. So I really had kind of two big breakups, which was, well, you know, one was my marriage, but this even bigger, I would say bigger and more impactful breakup was with the faith that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Was that challenging for you, that breakup with the faith that you grew up with? Um, in, in some ways it was challenging because it meant leaving behind communities and people that I had built up relationships with that I thought actually cared about me. But the part that was most challenging was realizing that they cared about that doctrine more than they actually cared about me. Mm. Um, and so that, that made it, that, that was a challenging realization, but the fact that I felt I could have a faith that would not tolerate me being in an abusive marriage, like that was more important for me. That was more impactful. That was more life-giving. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely challenging, but, you know, after leaving my marriage, I was really just empowered to do what was best for me and what worked for me. And that meant, leaving abusive situations in other places, right? Like that was, my marriage wasn't the only place where that was happening. My church was definitely one of them. And I was like, oh, this looks exactly the same. Let me not spend another three years, you know? And I couldn't at that point, like I couldn't go back to sleep. You know, that had been my pattern of waking up and going back to sleep. I couldn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how important was community for you in these uh, breakups, as, as you've called them, like with your religion and um, from your marriage? How important was community? Because I know for a lot of women that can be difficult, uh, especially since as a society, we tend to not believe, you know, women about abuse and things like that. And so community can be uh, 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 tough for women. So what was the what was the role or the importance of community for you in your your breakups? It was super important. It was actually one of the things that really helped me kind of build up the strength to be able to like get ready to leave. So I found a couple of Facebook groups online with women who were having similar experiences. And that 
did um, a world of wonder for me in terms of connecting me with people who were having the same experience, who had been through it, um, and some who were even on the other side and offering, you know, wisdom about how to, um, one, just get through um, the whole situation, but also just individual things that would come up. I was able to run them by the women in these groups. And so it was super helpful. Um, I think, as I think back on that now, I mean, I would definitely recommend that for people, but I still would caution folks in those groups to make sure you don't turn it into a place where you're only seeking validation Mm -hmm. um, and that you're like still focused on your situation and what you want um, and what you want to see in your relationship versus like just having people agree with you because that doesn't necessarily move you forward. So that's why for me, the group was helpful, but working with the coach is what kind of propelled me to get to where I wanted to be. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, another thing that you talk about is why red flags are not necessarily the best way to judge if a relationship is right for you. I wanted you to say more about that, more about that, if you will. Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple, a couple reasons I think that one is that you say red flag it's kind of extreme. It kind of gives this idea that only the most extreme types of things warrant leaving. And it doesn't necessarily give us the space to think about what we actually want in a relationship or even think about things that maybe our preferences, like maybe they're not like harmful, but maybe they're just things that we don't want. And I don't know if the the conversations we typically have around red flags really give that space. Um, but the primary reason I think they're not super helpful is that they tend to focus around another person's behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're in an abusive situation, those behaviors aren't always easily articulated. Um, I didn't know when, you know, when I was married, I didn't know what stonewalling was. Um, I didn't know what blame shifting was. I hadn't heard those terms. And then even when I did, like, it was still hard to figure out, okay, is this, that is this, you know, and it just, it, when you have conversations all about what is the other person doing when, when you're in a harmful situation and you can't necessarily put a label on it, it can make you feel stuck essentially. So I think it's when you're thinking about red flags, how I like to think about red flags is essentially how does this relationship or does, does this situation make me feel right? Mm -hmm. Am I uncomfortable? Am I uneasy? Am I feeling like I have to walk on eggshells? To me, those are my new types of red flags, because if I look back on my situation, all of those things were true. Like I knew from the beginning, OK, something ain't right here. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't necessarily have any evidence to say, okay, this person isn't genuine, but my body knew that. So for me, that's my new type of red flag. And I think that's the type of thing that's going to be helpful because we can have different types of conversations all day, but I like to focus on, okay, what's actually going to be helpful in giving a person information they can use to make decisions about what the healthiest relationship for them is going to be. Yeah. So that I like that framing of like red flags or shifting the language away from red flags. It, it, I, the last episode actually had a licensed therapist on to talk, and she was an expert on love addiction. And she talked about how 
like people become obsessive um, over like a person or keeping the relationship. And it reminded me of like some of my past behaviors where more than what I wanted, it became about making sure this person doesn't leave. And so I, I ignored all of like how I felt in my body or how the relationship made me feel. And so it's it's really important to come back to yourself and to center yourself in, in these things. So I really like that framing of um, shifting away from red flags. So um, can you say a little bit more about what you do as a breakup coach? Yes, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, you know, with my experience with a coach, um, I she helped me get clear on what my goals were in a way that I hadn't been able to without that type of one on one support. Um, so that's what I want to do for people who are leaving any type of harmful situation. It doesn't have to be a marriage. It could be, um, you know, just if you're dating someone, if you're at a church and you feel like you might want to leave, but you don't think you know how I really help people kind of get unstuck um, because there are oftentimes mindsets or things that we're thinking or thought loops that are running that we don't have any other thoughts to introduce into the narrative that could move us forward. And so a lot of times we're stuck thinking either we have to be here for whatever reason, or like you were saying, you know, you didn't want the person to leave. And it's like, you know, maybe sometimes we should think about what is it that we want? Like, do we even have, what is it about this person that like, that we want? Um, I also help people just get really honest with themselves about what they want and what they have and like whether or not, um, you know, what they have is, has even the possibility to be what they want. And a lot of times people know those answers pretty quick. Um, it's just about addressing kind of the fear of the unknown that comes with breaking up and also the disappointment that, you know, the person may not be who you thought they were and you are you know likely not going to have the future with them that you thought you were going to have and so there's a lot of like grief support that comes with this too because a lot of times we know when we want to leave a situation but we don't want to for whatever reason and it just takes some support um, to do that. And so that's how, you know, I really focus on, on coaching people. I want them to be able to trust themselves in their decision-making. Mm -hmm. Good. So, um, I know each scenario is going to be different. Um, but do you, do you have any tips for women who are thinking about leaving a situation they may not want to be in any longer? For sure. So the first thing I would say is definitely keep your safety in mind. Think about your safety, especially if you are in a situation that has been physically abusive. Um, a lot of times um, these types of situations can kind of ramp up um, if a person tries to leave. So definitely consider your safety. Make a safety plan um, for leaving. Um, <clears throat> I would say, you know, like I was saying before, be honest with yourself about what you want. Um, because that can, that can free you up to really dream and then really compare that to what you have. And then you may want to ask yourself, you know, if it's reasonable to think that your situation, if it's not what you want, if it's reasonable to think that that might change at some point. And if it is reasonable, you know, why are you saying that? What is the information you're using to come to that determination? So a lot of this is really about like self-reflection. Um, 
And I would say, you know, take your time. There's no shame at all in taking your time to unpack some of these, even if you haven't left a situation you feel like you should be leaving because you're the only one that has to walk in your shoes and experience what you're experiencing. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is kind of this internal reflective work, but there are um, some other like outward steps that folks can take. One is to start to implement boundaries. If you feel like you're not ready to leave the relationship, maybe try just leaving a conversation. Um, That was one of the tools that I started using as I was building up my boundaries. There were certain conversations I just knew from the beginning were not going to be fruitful. I knew that um, he was using them to create chaos and drama and that we weren't going to come to um, a conclusion or, you know, an agreeable decision. So I decided to leave some of those conversations early, whether that was hanging up the phone um, or just walking away. You know, even though he said, oh, well, that's disrespectful. I felt like the conversation was disrespectful and I knew it wasn't going anywhere. And so I would recognize the harm that was happening during those conversations. My heart rate would go up, you know, I'd be sweating and nervous. And it's like, you know, as because I can see this dynamic now, I can actually do something about it. Right. Um, Because he would engage or disengage as he wanted. And so I saw that, okay, well, let me do this too. And the more you start to practice that type of thing, the easier it gets. And it kind of, it, it feeds your ability to keep going and your confidence in yourself and your ability to make decisions that are, um, that are good for you. Um, Yeah. And I was, yeah, I was going to say one more thing, too. Um, it's important to seek support from people who are in your corner, not necessarily people who just have the agenda of saving the relationship at all costs. I know in the church, a lot of times that was my experience where people I would talk to would be more focused on trying to save and preserve the marriage and not necessarily saving me from the harm that I was experiencing. So seek support from people who you can trust who are in your corner. Mm, that's an important one because <laughs> I feel like that's and I feel like that's a thing even outside of the church necessarily. Just people thinking that the that you need to you know stay in the relationship at all costs, or if you got a good man, you need to hold on to him. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, and of course, the last question that I ask all guests is, what's a book or resource that has been formative for you? Um, in this situation, or just in general, any way you want to take it. Either one, both, however you feel like answering it. Hmm. Let's see. Okay. So for this situation, I would say it's a book called How the Bible Actually Works by Mm -hmm. Pete Enns. I usually try to recommend books by Black women, but this is like my one exception Um, because it really helped me kind of reframe how I was thinking about the Bible and how I could use it as a tool for, for, for wisdom and seeking ways to find like peace and enjoyment and escaping harm and kind of like seeing that that's wise. And that is in the Bible, right? That's just, that was a new way of seeing the Bible and it really helped me. And I read this after I got divorced and left my church, but it was really helpful in clarifying those things and giving me the freedom to pursue a faith that's liberating. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you. Oh, one more thing. Tell people where they can find you on the internet. <laughs> yes. So my blog and the marriage autopsy series that I referenced is at goldendaff.com. 
And um, you can find me on Instagram at Golden Daff. Um, if you're interested in working with me via coaching, you can find that on my website or um, through the link in my bio on IG. Thank you so much for being on the show this evening. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not the Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not the Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>